Hi, I'm Steve Thomas. This is Cacophony. Let's dive into some great music. But first, a warning. This episode contains politics and a call to action. Recent protests in the UK over the government's plans to criminalise protest serve as a reminder that our rights are fragile and can be taken away much more easily than they were recognised in the first place. And that very rarely, perhaps never, are rights given freely to the people or big changes made in society without huge movements for change protesting to make it happen and without the leaders of those movements being willing to put their liberty even their lives, on the line in the fight for change and justice. All this leads me to the great force of nature that was Dame Ethel Smythe, composer, author, feminist, suffragette. Most women composers have had their career held up or thwarted by men, fathers and husbands telling them it's not a woman's role, cultural organisations and promoters saying much the same thing, publishers, performers, record companies, carrying on like this, even after they're dead. Ethel Smythe, at least while she was alive, was having none of it. She successfully fought with her father to go and study music in Leipzig, which she did in the late 19th century, as a 19-year-old woman on her own. And then she forcefully fought, well, anyone who stood in her way to get her music performed. Her friend, the famous conductor Sir Thomas Beecham, describes Smythe as militant and belligerent, and says that there was no one else in the same street as Ethel. An absolute portent of activity, physical and mental, she was on the go from morning to night, and I suspect from the greater part of night to morning. But she needed to be forceful and dogged to get her music out there and performed. And her tactics worked, where many women composers had, almost certainly reluctantly, opted to write smaller scale compositions things that might be more easily performed. Ethel Smythe wanted to write opera, so she needed all her powers of persuasion, and sometimes the power of not going away until people said yes to get her shows onto the stage. Her first opera was even performed by the Metropolitan Opera in New York in 1903, and they didn't perform another opera by a woman until 2016. Can you imagine? Her third and most famous opera, The Wreckers, received its premiere in Leipzig in 1906. Opera was much bigger in Europe. London was still pretty provincial in opera house terms, so much so that The Wreckers was written in French. The Leipzig first night was a big success, with 16 curtain calls and great reviews. But Smythe was furious because the conductor had made cuts in the music that she didn't agree with. She snuck into the orchestra pit during the night, collected up all the musicians' parts, even the conductor's full score, and left town, making any further Leipzig performances impossible, and burning her bridges with that particular opera house. Back in London, she got Beecham to put it on, in English, and with the combination of his society contacts and hers, they were both extremely well connected, they managed to get the king to come and see it. Beecham recalls that afterwards... He almost kissed Ethel. She certainly shook him by the hand. I don't think he actually succeeded. No man, within my recollection, ever did succeed in kissing Ethel. That's a very discreet 1950s BBC interview way of alluding to Smythe's sexual preferences. 
Other interviews at the time dwell heavily on her liking for tweed suits, cricket, golf and tennis. All clearly lesbian or bisexual pointers. The Wreckers is set in Cornwall and tells the tale of a remote coastal village where the locals would ensure darkness along the coast in order to lure ships to be destroyed on the rocks with the locals picking up the plunder and having to deal with the occasional surviving sailor along the way. There's a love story between the wife of the pastor and one of the villagers who happens to be lighting fires along the coast to warn off the passing ships. And when the villagers discover who's been doing this, it's the end for the pair of them. It's quite a good plot for an opera. In 1910, Ethel Smythe became friends with, and perhaps fell for, Emmeline Pankhurst, leader of the Women's Social and Political Union. Up until then, women's rights hadn't really been her bag, but now she decided to stop music work altogether and throw herself into the suffragette cause for the next two years. She gets well and truly stuck in, and even writes the movement an anthem, the March of the Women. Here's a taste, with Ethel Smythe herself conducting. And here she is now, talking about a major moment in the suffragette protest. At exactly 5.30, one memorable evening in 1912, relays of women produced hammers from their muffs and handbags and proceeded methodically to smash up windows in all the big London thoroughfares, Piccadilly, Regent Street and so on, inspired by the knowledge that exactly at that moment, Mrs. Pankhurst was opening the ball with a stone aimed at a window of 10 Downing Street. As a matter of fact, Mrs. Pankhurst was not a cricketer, and in spite of much practice in my garden, her stone fell harmlessly in the area of number 10. But her companion's stone did its duty nobly. Nearly 200 women were arrested that evening. Some of us had been told off to attack private houses, and I had begged for Mr. Lulu Harcourt because of an infuriating remark of his, he was colonial secretary, to the effect that if all women were as pretty and as wise as his own wife, we should have the vote tomorrow. I walked into Barclay Square, where he lived, and before his house, he being in the government, stood a policeman. Though the recording ends there, she went on to say how she casually asked the policeman for directions to Lady So-and-So's house. And then while he's answering, she gets prepared, and it's, so whose house is this? As she lobs the brick through the window, and is immediately taken off to the local police station. It's only just around the corner, madam. Smythe was sentenced to three months and served two in Holloway Prison, a gruelling experience made more palatable by being in the cell next to Pankhurst and having a female guard who would allow them to spend some brief time together and then conveniently forget to come and lock them back up in their separate cells. Thomas Beecham visited her a number of times. On one occasion, 
finding a dozen suffragettes marching up and down the yard, singing the March of the Women, with Smythe conducting from her cell window with her toothbrush. Ethel Smythe was on the verge of re-establishing her career, with her operas planned for shows in Munich and Frankfurt in early 1915, and the contracts freshly signed when war broke out in 1914. The suffragette campaign was also suspended, and women got the vote in 1918. We're going to listen to the orchestral prelude to Act Two of the Wreckers, titled On the Cliffs of Cornwall. On one level, it's a depiction of the sea, but it's also a depiction of the tensions and emotions in the opera. The lovers concerned about their passion being discovered, and then again concerned about the mission to alert the ships being discovered at the same time. It's dark, brooding, brilliantly written, and almost totally unknown. Both Beecham and another famous and brilliant conductor and friend of Smythe's, Bruno Walter, rated it most highly as the best bit of the records. But there's only one or two recordings. Thankfully, they're both really good. In modern times, we listen to Ethel Smythe's music in part because of her militancy and suffragette work. She makes for a good story, right? But if she hadn't interrupted her career to take a stand, and if the war hadn't then wiped out the next few years, we may have had a great deal more music to enjoy on its own terms than she would have taken her place as one of the famous composers of her time. The Wrecker's story is one of somebody doing the right thing, regardless of what his society thinks. And Ethel's story reminds us of the sacrifices that need to be made to ensure progress, maybe even to stop things going backwards. So let's protect our hard-won rights, and keep working, keep fighting even, to move things forward. And now, let's listen to some music by clicking on the links in the show notes to have a listen. When you're done, please leave us a comment and tell us what you think. Is there too much politics in Cacophony at the moment? Let me know at cacophonyonline.com or via Facebook or Twitter. Please like, review, subscribe to, share the podcast widely, let all your friends know about Cacophony. If you really like it, you can click on the link in the notes and buy me a coffee. Please come back for more next time. And thanks for listening.